Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this is a, this is a story that, that we probably know very, very well. We teach it to our kids. Um, this is, and it's actually a, a pretty graphic one. Um, but this is the, the story of Cain and Abel. I'm not going to ask, do you know the story of Cain and Abel? This is one of those, yes, you do. We know you do. You, you know you know it. But it's whenever we become so familiar with the stories that we, we actually lose a lot of the content and the meaning of the stories. A, you know, Noah's Ark, which we're, we're getting to, becomes, like I've told you, it's the theme on the nursery wall, Noah's Ark. And that's really a tragic story of God's judgment and wrath on a sinful world. I mean, that's one way to remind them at a young age that they are sinners. They're cute, they're adorable, but they're sinners, and God's wrath is, is very there. I mean, you can do that as a nursery theme, but that's, that's the thrust of Noah's Ark. And yet we familiarize it so much, it becomes this cute story. And so we know the story of Cain and Abel. However, whenever we become so familiar with it, then we, we kind of lose some of the some of the gravity of it. And so not asking, do you know it? It's just, have you really thought through again the story of the Cain and Abel? So God's word opened before us. He inspired Moses to write this. And, and it's for the edification of the saints. It's to give us a better knowledge of who God is, who we are. Um, and so Genesis chapter four says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So there's our, there's our story, right? It's, it's a story. It's a narrative. It's got a beginning. It's got a conflict. It's got a middle. It's got an end. But it doesn't mean that it's not history. So here is this historical narrative of Cain and Abel. And, and we're familiar with it, but, but let's now start pushing a little bit further into it because if we don't push into it and understand why Cain's offering was rejected, then I don't think that we're really going to grasp the gravity of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and the temptation we have in our own hearts to be much more like Cain than Abel. See, we, we like to read stories like this. And uh, well, let's go to, to one more familiar. We like to read stories of Jesus and his disciples against the Pharisees. And we like to read it as, yep, I'd be standing right there with Jesus. 
right? I would be one of the good guys. I would be the good Samaritan who, of course, helped the guy at the ditch. We always want to be the hero of the story. Whenever, honestly, we probably have a tendency to be more like the Pharisees and more like the Sadducees. I'm just telling you my own heart. Our house is in total disarray right now because we're getting work done at it. And it is completely wrecking me within one day. Like we were on vacation, which was wonderful. And then we came back and we're having carpet put in. And so everything is not where it needs to be. I couldn't even find an ironing board this morning. And like I'm amped up at my house. It's really just messing with me. Everything has a place. Everything uh, needs to be in a certain order. I like lists and boxes and checks and things being in their place. I would have been an amazing Pharisee. And I was until God saved me and said, it's not about checking the list. It's not about putting things in order. It's not about just doing what you think you need to be doing. It's, it's about my son. And so we want to just be careful that whenever we read the story of Cain and Abel, we also don't go, praise the Lord, I'm Abel, right? Praise the Lord that I'm not Cain because I, who would want to be Cain? Y'all, we, we were Cain. If we're sitting here as Christians, you need to humbly accept that you were Cain and that God came to Cain and he made a new heart so that you could be able and able to worship him. See what I did there? Cool. All right, good. I'm just glad we got some of you here real quick with me. But let's, uh, let's, let's push into this. So we're just, we're just doing a walkthrough of the text. This is not one of those, hey, here's three, three points, four points. It's just let's move through the text. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So here is the beginning of them fulfilling what God commanded to them to be fruitful and multiply. And now watch what happens. Not only does life multiply, but sin multiplies from this point on. There's going to be sin in Cain and Abel, and then next week we're going to see that the, the genealogy of Cain continues a little bit, but genealogy, life continues to spread on the earth, and as life spreads, so does sin. And it does seem that there's a pattern throughout Scripture that whenever God sends the godly onto the earth, the wicked seek to slay them. Jared was, was visiting with me this morning. He says, you know, Abel really kind of kick-started the death of the prophets, and he does. This is our first martyr. This is the first one who said, I'm going to bring it all to God, and then the wicked sees it, and they slay him. And so we see this from the very beginning. And, and, this, and, and Jesus even says this to the Pharisees and Sadducees in the Gospels. He's talking to them, and he says, you know, you have done this wrong, you've done this wrong, and the blood of Abel through the prophets is on your hands. And so he brings, Jesus brings all of this history to the present where he is, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the death of the godly. And he says, it all began with Abel and it is with my prophets. And then we also know that Jesus speaks a parable where he is the, the prophet who is to come because God has sent all these other prophets who were slain. And so now God has sent his son and they even killed his son. Y'all, we are not the heroes in this story. We are, we are not the Abels who are slain. We have become that, but we are more like... Cain than we like to realize. And we're going to see that in his offering. So life begins to spread here, and so does sin. The Puritans used to teach, um, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. So whenever Adam and Eve sinned, that was visited upon us. It's in our nature. I see all of these kids 
And, uh, and you know, what's real neat is to, to hold Kinley and to hear her not knowing all the words, but, getting, be, but beginning to get the words and to get the rhythms. And she's humming what she doesn't know and, and saying what she does know. And, uh, and I heard a conversation over here, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, but, but the person who was talking over here said, I, like, I want our kids to, like, see that reverence. I hope they see that in us. I hope they're catching it from us. That's why we have our kids in here. But y'all don't make any mistake about it. No matter how cute they are, they have a sinful nature in them. They need to be taught that sin is not part of God's natural design. Sin has corrupted God's good design that He had for all things. And so that's what we're seeing here. Cain and Abel really spark so many things. It might help, though, to see something pretty ironic. Cain, the name Cain means acquired or possession. All right, and I thought that's, that's kind of cool. Okay, I've, I've gotten a son. I've gotten a man from the Lord. What I didn't realize, though, until I started looking more, is that uh, she's not just saying praise God because he gives us sons and daughters, though that's true. And just a, a quick pastoral moment, uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know why God blesses some families with children and some families he blesses without children. I, I don't know that. That's a, that's a weight that we carry and we intercede for one another and we walk lovingly. So, but there is that acknowledgement that, that this is our great honor to pray for those who, who have that struggle and who have that mystery of, of why hasn't God blessed us with this. So just pastorally, keep that in mind. That's a really sensitive um, thing that we want to be aware of. But also, whenever there is a, a child born, it's not by chemistry, it's not uh, by biology, it's by the Lord. And so there's that one aspect where Eva's saying, Oh, praise God, because he gave me a son. Absolutely. I didn't know there was another translation. I didn't. Historically, there's another translation, and it reads like this. I have gotten a man, the Lord. I've gotten a man, the Lord. And in it, you hear the desire of all humanity. She believes that this is the one. She has received the Lord that was promised to her in Genesis 3.15. In the Proto-Evangelicum, God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here is the Savior. God has given them the one who will defeat the serpent. So there's like that hopeful expectation. She desires the Savior, and now she has it. Y'all, that's the cry of all of humanity. That's what everybody is searching for is salvation. We have the source of salvation. We have the remedy to sin that has corrupted everything. How dare we sit here in, in holy huddles in churches? And I don't just mean here, but I mean, how dare we sit as Christians and we don't share the goodness of God that is the remedy for all the sin that plagues people? Everybody's greatest need is a Savior. Praise God, He has shown Himself to us. For the Muslim, they need a Savior. But you know what? For your child, they need a Savior. And praise God, the Savior came for us. So you hear that in that, that translation, I've gotten a man, the Lord. the Lord. I've gotten the Lord, like the one who will redeem us, who will remedy this situation. He's here. And you see that her desire is that redemption in their Savior. And therefore, whenever she has another kid, Abel, his name means vanity or vapor. That's not a cool name. The other one, possession, the Lord. This one, vapor. But how fitting, right? How fitting that that name is so prophetic. 
that his life would be but a vapor. And that whenever you and I align ourselves with a God-centered view of our lives and we don't live it where we're at the center, then Psalm 39.5 actually is very comforting. Psalm 39.5 says, You indeed have made us, or I'm sorry, you have indeed have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing before you. Truly, each man at his best exists as but a breath. James 4.14 reminds us that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Says, what is your life? For you are a mist, you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, as Christians, we know the briefness of our lives. We know how, how small it is, how, how frail it is. Y'all know what's really neat? Just kind of pull all this. We're, we're but ables in the hand of God. We're but vapors. We're just, He didn't need us. He wanted us, but He didn't need us for the fellowship. We're just vapors that are here. And then after this vapor moment in life, when we pass from here, we as Christians are in the full presence of God. How amazing that Abel, though his life was short on this earth, he has fellowship with God much longer than you and I can ever have. I mean, it's just... So that's, that's just those, those names mean something, but... But there's also that hopeful expectation that you hear in Eve's proclamation, here's my Redeemer, here is my Savior, here's what we've been waiting for, and oh, how wrong she was. It goes on, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Y'all, if we're, uh, let's pause there. If we're not careful, then we kind of hone in on that, that one sentence. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. If we're not careful, we read in the negative sense of, well, why would God do that? That's not fair. God's all good, so he's going to regard his offering and not his. He's going to, and then later we're going to see Jacob and Esau. Why does he regard one and not the other? God, why does he get to do that? Why does he choose Israel and not others? We're going to focus on the negative sense rather than the positive if we're not careful. Y'all, look at, look at this. I just want to say God is, is absolutely just, and we're going to look at why. That, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time and where you and I really want to pay attention but I also want to just encourage you, it's okay to ask God why. It really is. It's okay, it's okay to say, God, I'm so incredibly frustrated in life right now, and I don't know what to do because there's all of this, all these clouds that are pushing in. Read the Psalms, church, and hear David's heart. There is so much that we do not do, and there is so much hurt and heartache that presses so near who we are. It's okay to say why as long as we humbly accept his answer. That's okay. But whenever God speaks back to us, if we don't check our pride, then we're not going to like what he has to say. That's wrong and that's sin. But it is not sin to look at God and humbly say, what's going on? You just have to be humble enough to receive it. Okay, so why though? If we don't push to the negative, what is it that has separated their offerings to this degree? I want you to just consider the offerings themselves. Look at verses 3 and 4 very closely. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord, and I underlined in mind, an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought, underlined here, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Do you see it? 
Like what they bring is two drastically different things. This is not a vegetarian and a, and a carnar- carnivorous thing, though I think it could be valid, Andy. Okay. It's, it's not that. Look at the language, an offering of the fruit of the ground. Here's something. I work the fields. Here's something. The Lord, Lord wants me to, to give something. So whatever he can put his hand on, it's kind of this sense there. I'm going to go out to the field and I'm just going to, I'm going to grab something. I'm going to bring that to the Lord. That's, that's what it means to be an offering of the fruit of the ground. But he brought something, right? That's what we, we, but he brought something. But then for Abel, he brings the firstborn of his flock. The firstborn, like the very first one that's born. The very best. And he brings the fat portions. Now, for some of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, then you're already starting to do the math. And you're starting to go, okay, wait a second. In the law, he's going to say that the firstborn and the best and the fat portions, and that's what God delights in. And that is a fantastic sermon that we're not going to get to today, okay? But the heart of it's right there. Cain brought something, and Abel brought the best of what he had. And so there's a difference in their offerings. If you and I were sitting there, by the way, and we were watching this situation, I don't think you and I would be able to distinguish the difference in the offerings except to say, well, this one is of the ground and this one is of the field. And we would look at it in that way. But we would probably esteem them both as, okay, great, offering, offering. Um, the, the widow can bring a certain portion. The rich can bring a certain portion. As long as they all bring a portion, it's all right, right? No, it's not. We would esteem those as equal in our eyes because I think that they probably looked great. But God doesn't look as man looks. God sees not the, just the offering, but the heart that's behind the offering. And so, so God regards Abel's because the heart that's behind it is what we're about to get to. But, uh, but uh, you know what? Let's just go there. Flip to Hebrews 11.4. And so I know we got our scripture journals. So you might have that. And they might get your phone out. Hebrews 11.4. This is what's really behind the offerings. It really distinguishes them. God's word has many mysteries that we'll never solve, and then other ones he answers. So I always check scripture with scripture. I love apologetics, but science will never account for the full mysteries of what God does. But scripture will. And so Hebrews 11.4 answers this mystery for us. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Do you know what separated Cain's sacrifice from Abel's sacrifice? It wasn't just the intent of it, it was the heart of it. Like Abel came in faith. Faith is behind the act of worship that matters. If we fill this place and we sing and yet our hearts are far from Him, we just made noise. We feel great about it. God, I brought you something. I I, I sang on pitch today. We brought something to Him. But if our faith is not rooted in who He is, then our hearts will not be behind that offering and it will be evil to Him. It will be unacceptable to Him. Doing all the right actions is not what God has asked. He's asked that we place our faith in Him and that our hearts are captivated by who He is. Then whatever it is we bring, though large, though small, it will be totally, absolutely, wonderfully acceptable to Him. So what distinguished them was, was number one, the offerings themselves. There, there was a, a different quality 
that we might not have been able to distinguish, but we would like to think that we could. Um, but then Hebrews 11.4 says that really what separated them was the faith that Abel had. You know what that also means? The, the lack of faith that Cain, that Cain had whenever he brought his offering. We like to believe the best in everyone, but in Cain's situation, there was no faith. Y'all, may we, uh, may we just consider that very point. Like just pastoral moment here. It is not ultimately what we bring to the Lord, but the faith that fills that offering. And, and before you think, oh goodness, we're about to get into money and tithes. We've been waiting on it for three years, Ricky. You haven't, y'all, this isn't a sermon on, on tithes and offerings. This is a sermon on the heart of our sacrifices to God. Like there's a different intent there. Do we come as Cain with what is most convenient to give and we believe that that will suffice? Or do we come as Abel with the first and the best of all that we have for God because He is worthy? Two totally different scenarios. Lest we miss it, you notice that Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord. They had a place where they brought it. We don't know what that altar looked like, but they had a, they had a place where they were doing their church, right? And, and Adam may have been the, the priest of that family. He may have been the, the conduit there, but we also know that Cain and Abel are able to speak directly to God. Cain and God have a, a discourse. They talk to one another, but there's a place where they bring their sacrifices. They knew to bring their sacrifices. They both know the presence of the Lord, and yet they both respond differently. For Abel, he is captivated with the glory of God, and he sees, he must, because this is what we know as Christians, that when we align our lives with the glory and the holiness of God, it begins to change us. And whenever God is held high in our lives, then we absolutely will bring the absolute best of all that we have. We're not worried about what we're missing whenever we bring the best to Him. But whenever He is brought down low, then so will our offerings to Him because we no longer see Him as worthy. And my fear is that we have a Christian culture these days who no longer have a high regard of God, so therefore they will not live a sacrificial life bringing all the greatest honor and offerings to Him of whatever that may bring because we still want to hold on a little bit more to ourselves because we brought God low, and God will not be brought low, just so you know. So we want to consider where we place God in our lives. Is He the high God of Scripture, or is He what we have made comfortable? And whenever we make Him comfortable, then we start to give comfortable offerings and sacrifices to Him as well. This seems like it checks the box, you know, it's, just, it's what we're supposed to give. And I'm not just talking money, I'm talking emotions, I'm talking time, I'm talking talent, I'm talking psychologically, where do we dwell, where do we spend our time, like there's every aspect of our life is an act of worship. This is not worship what we do and then that's it. This is just a time whenever we get to gather for worship and be encouraged. I don't know if you ever do this, but you should. Sometimes while you're singing to the Lord and you're way low and you need to be encouraged by what God is doing, then sometimes stop in reverently, stop and hear the saints singing to that high God. It's just encouraging to know that He is redeeming people left and right and making them His own for all of eternity. Don't cease to sing, though, so that you can just cease to sing, but cease to sing in a way that will elevate your honor of Him. Because I did that this morning, like I was singing and I was loving it, and then all of a sudden there was just this pause where God was like, just listen for a second. And I stopped. And then I get to hear Jesus paid it all. 
All to him I owe from every believer in the room. And we don't all have beautiful voices, okay? And it doesn't matter. All of heaven and all of creation cries, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All glory and honor is yours forever and ever and ever. I think that we only grow bored with the idea of heaven because we don't understand the prize of heaven and who he is. And if we don't get it here even as a glimpse, then we will not live radically and and sacrificially as we're supposed to. So, I just want us to look at at that, that, that there is a faith that we have that makes whatever weak voice we have, whatever small financial gift it is, whatever small financial tithe they're offering, whatever weak skill or talent it is, praise the Lord that our faith fills it and He accepts it. You know how humbling that is? Whenever we, uh, whenever we planted Cross Life, we want to do church in such a way that, that there's a comfort in growing in the Lord and using that which God has given us. I don't know if y'all remember my first sermons. Man, you only remember the ones that take up an hour, an hour and a half now. You know, but, but I feel like the Lord has grown me. Not because I have great skill or articulation, not because I study the craft or anything like that, but, but this is all I know to do. This is all I can give to the other saints is to be able to, to understand His Word and teach it. And God says, okay, now look what I can do with a fool. And then there are some in here who said, I don't know how to, to play an instrument. I don't know how to, to do this, but, I, but I, I do know how to sing. And, and I, can, I can help run technology. And then there are others who say, I can't play the guitar very well at all, but I can strum something. And then there are others who say, I don't know what to do, but I can pick things up and I can put them down. And they do everything to the glory of God by serving others. And there are some who can give... $20 a month, and there are some who can give exceedingly more. And all of those, as long as faith is a core, then God says, I accept all that you've given me. So there is faith that infuses our offerings. Third thing in, in, in what they bring and why God accepts it. You and I need to consider this. Consider the difference in worship and duty. One thing that we may overlook if we're not, if we don't pause here is that they both knew to bring that sacrifice. They both knew what the Lord expected. That's never recorded for us, by the way. What would that have looked like? Right? But they both knew. And, and for Abel, we see a religion of worship. And in Cain, we see a religion of duty and obligation. He brought it, and he left it there. And Abel brought it, and he left it there. He gave out of worship for knowing who God is and what God wants and knowing that God is worthy of everything. And then for, for Cain, he brought it, but it wasn't the best. It didn't reflect the glory of the goodness of God towards them. Because keep in mind, all of Genesis 1 through, through 3 and, and through 4 at this point, God created everything good. It was perfect. It was perfect. And then this family that he creates in his image Good. And he says, fill the earth with my glory. You are my representatives. You will bear the image to all of creation. And then they corrupt it with sin through disobedience. And the sin of Adam and Eve's disobedience is now just going to explode as sin continues to grow throughout the world. And yet God still communes with them. God still meets with them who corrupted his perfectly good 
creation. And Abel sees that and he sees this God and he worships him with his offering. And Cain sees it and he's like, this, this is what you wanted. There you go. Now there's the, the same two religions vie for the expression of our hearts today. There is a religion of faith and worship and there is a religion of duty and obligation. And they're represented so well. We see them so clearly in Cain and Abel because just like Adam and Eve, here are two perfect representatives for us. And you may say, oh, I would never murder. I would never go that far. You don't have to murder. To violate one aspect of the law is to be a sinner of it all. Cain's probably saying, well, at least I didn't do that. You know, I'm a sinner over here, but at least I didn't do that. We... We don't get to compare sins. We just see a holy God and say, oh my goodness, how gracious you are to us. So I want to ask myself, and I'm just going to kind of read it as I wrote it. I'm asking myself this. Do I give, whatever it is, time, talent, um, service, do I give out of a sense of obligation or out of an overflowing of my heart? And I'm Again, not just talking money, I'm talking service and missions, time, talents. Do I sacrifice financially, physically, mentally, emotionally? Get this, because he is worthy of my life. Like that's the core of it all. Because he's worthy, I can give in abundance. Or do I give to check the box? I'm supposed to do this. We're supposed to go on mission, so I'll go to that one. We're supposed to give... Um, to the saints and to the different. By the way, um, in case you didn't know, you don't have to give full offering and tithes to the church. Give them to God's ministry wherever He does it. I think it's good to give to the, the local church so that the local church can continue to do its ministry. But you also can be giving anywhere and everywhere where God is active. But you need to be giving to those causes because He is moving in all those causes and He is worthy. The only one that will be acceptable is the one that comes by faith. So I want to keep asking myself, did we just write that tithe check because we're supposed to or because He's worthy? Am I going on that mission trip because He's worthy and because worship doesn't exist because he does, He's not known there or... Oh, goodness, I think every mature Christian is supposed to go on a mission trip, so I should probably do that. Or, or there's someone who needs help, and gosh, Lord, I, I'm really not feeling it, but I should probably do it. Right? It's a heart check. Behind their offerings, there's a heart that God sees. Behind our offerings, there is a heart that God sees. That's where I think we really want to understand that in the story of Cain and Abel, there are great moments for us to pause and consider that God is graciously showing us the tenor of our own hearts. I will tell you where I typically fall is out of duty and obligation, not always out of reverence for who he is. I have to fight for reverence. You and I need to wage holy war to keep him held high because the depravity of our lives will bring him low. And that's not acceptable. So, we're going to see this, um, yeah, Matthew 15, 8. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he's also echoing um, from Isaiah, Matthew 15, 8. It's still the problem of Cain and Abel. It's still the problem that you and I have uh, in vying for the affection of our heart today. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus quotes Isaiah, and of the Israelites, of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. May that never be said of you and I. But this is an ancient problem that's always existed. 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Cain honored God with an offering, but his heart was far from God. And, and you can actually see more about Cain in Jude 11. Jude 11 refers to the spirit of Cain that's at work in the, the false teachers. You can see that Jesus actually, in talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees in the Gospels, he actually pulls the Pharisees and Sadducees in line with Cain and the murder of Abel. Like there's so much, but I don't want to lose the heart of the passage itself by hitting rabbit trails, if that makes any sense. I think those are good. They enrich the text. But I think what we need to focus on is, again, that heart. So I'm going to go back to Genesis. And I'm going to encourage you, before I leave this point, y'all just consider not Cain's heart and see the guilt of him and the, the innocence of Abel, but just I challenge you to consider your own heart here because there is a God who is sovereign over all. And for the sake of your soul, humbly consider your heart of worship and what you bring to the Lord and why. The why is what separated Cain and Abel. Why did they do it and therefore what did they bring? And may he who knows our private hearts be absolutely pleased with the devotions that we bring. In verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You don't have to flip there. You're going to know this whenever I say it. First Peter 5 is what comes to mind. So in the garden, the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? Sin is crouching so near. Be careful. Rule over it. And in 1 Peter 5, Peter writes, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's a parallel there, that the sin that was so near Cain in, in, uh, in, the, uh, in the beginning, Peter's reminding saints throughout all time that, the, that our adversary, the devil, is just as near to us, seeking someone to devour and to destroy. Um, I do, I, I got to show you Proverbs 19.3. You need to know Proverbs 19.3. It's underlined in my Bible. Uh, it will probably be triple underlined. Um, it's just good to know. It explains Cain's response. Proverbs 19.3. When a man's folly, so when a man's foolishness brings his way to ruin, look what he does. His heart rages against the Lord. There's so much truth. Whenever our own foolishness brings us to ruin and brokenness and heartache, then our heart, the natural tendency of it, is to rage against the Lord. You got to watch your heart. You got to watch what, what we, we have a tendency to do. So you know what that tells me? Why did Cain grow angry? Because of his own foolishness. It was his foolishness that brought that weak sacrifice. And whenever God calls him out on it, rather than humbly accepting it, he rages against the Lord to the degree that he's going to go kill his own brother. He doesn't even receive the correction of the Lord. And there's plenty of Proverbs about that as well. It says that a fool will not receive correction. We either get to be wise and receive correction or a fool and we rage against the Lord and insist in our own way. But y'all, I am also reminded here, you've got to see this, the great mercy of God, the loving Father God leaning so near to Cain. And he's saying, I see the anger of your heart. It's apparent on your face. Sin is near. Don't give in. Fight this. How good and gracious it is 
that whenever sin and temptation are so near us, Christians, you know this, you can feel the Lord leaning right next to you. It's why you want to fight it. It's why you don't want to give in. So Cain hears this and he speaks to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel and he killed him. But do you know where that murder began? Murder began in his heart. It all began in his heart. Y'all, we, we got to guard our hearts is what we're reminded of with Cain. We have to guard our hearts. we got to be careful. The hatred of his heart is what became the murder of his hands. It all was rooted and steeped in his heart. And you might say, I would never do that. We would never murder. But remember the Gospels that if we hate our brother in our heart, it's the same as murder is one parallel. But also just look at this. We have to root out all evil from our hearts. It might not be anger and murder. It might be jealousy. It might be frustration. It might be envy, gossip, greed, lust, whatever begins in our heart, if left unchecked, if we don't rule over it in Christ, then it's going to become that which we practice. So just take a look at Cain. What began in his heart came to fruition in his hands. What we allow to dwell in our hearts can come to fruition if we don't seek refuge in Christ. There is no temptation that has overcome overcome man that is not common to man. Therefore, God leans close to Cain. He knows the eventualities and he leans close and he says, you need to be careful. Sin is right near you and its desire is con- it like wants to bring you down. It wants to steal everything of who you are. You must rule over it. Y'all, not what a mean, vengeful God. How gracious. It would be like if I see uh, my kids playing next to a, a campfire, right? And they're playing next to a campfire and they're, they're getting rowdy. And, I, and I, don't, I don't pull them back. I'm like, you know what? You can touch it. No, what do we do, right? We guard them. As much as we can, we pull back. Now, parents, we all have moments where we can't pull them back because we're not there. But we do try to keep them from putting knives into sockets, from playing with fire, from reaching up on the stove, from pulling boiling water down. Why? Because we're mean and we want limits? No, because we know the danger that's there. And God is lovingly saying, Cain, I know the danger that's there. I know where your heart is. You have to fight this. And so how great that he lovingly tries. And Abel just will not have it. Verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, where's your, where's Abel? And this is the last big, big point. Um, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It seems foolish to ask if you get it. And that's how I'm going to say, if you get it, then you're sitting there going, oh, how dare he ask that? Y'all, we live in a world that doesn't get that. We live in a world that does not like the answer that God's going to give to this. Man says, no, we are not our brother's keeper. The world says, I am not my brother's keeper. People sitting in churches today say, we're not our brother's keeper. We don't want the accountability. We're going to exist We're going to be there whenever we can be there. I'm going to live my life my way. You don't get to judge. You don't get to step into it. I'm just going to tell you, that is scripturally indefensible. I almost lost my word there. Scripturally indefensible. Whenever Cain says, am I my brother's keeper, there is a resounding, absolutely we are. Absolutely he is his brother's keeper. 
We are, as believers, accountable to one another and for one another. That's what our church membership at Cross Life is all about. That's why we covenant together. If you go through there and you read that, it basically says, here's my life, there's your life. I'm accountable to you, not me, the pastor. I'm accountable to everyone else in that church, and they are, and I'm accountable for them as well. Do not join or be a part of Cross Life if you don't want your life to be opened up to other people because it's just going to happen. Here you are known and you have to be known because we're going to be bugging you. I'm just telling you. Why? Because holiness depends upon it. There is a holiness that we are accountable to. And so what Cain was essentially saying is, am I my brother's keeper? No, I don't have to. You, God, you know everything. By the way, don't miss that. God didn't really not know where Abel was. He, was. he was giving almost an opportunity for confession. And instead, what Cain does is he decides to push into his sin a little bit further. But y'all, we, uh, you know what the law tells us? To love your neighbor as yourself. You know what Jesus says? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what all of Scripture says? Love your neighbor as yourself. James tells us to bring back a wandering brother. You know how you're going to bring back a wandering brother? Knowing what's going on in their life and knowing that they're not where they're supposed to be. It also says that we should pray for one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, confess our sins to one another. Scripture, which is breathed out by God for God's people, says, yes, you and I are one another's keeper. We are accountable to one another, for one another, because we're His, His children. So, the heart of our church membership and the heart of church membership is not a country club mentality. Hey, I'm part of this group. I got the cool big mugs. I've got the t-shirt. I'm going to hang out with these people whenever it's convenient. The heart of church membership is that we are a body who's covenanted together to do life together because we know we need one another. Cain didn't get it. The world doesn't get it. Many churches don't get it. We actually have sat in a church where, um, well, Chas, Chas and I have sat in a church where we listen to a whole discussion in a Sunday school where people are talking about, and, and these are coming out there, they're like, look, whenever we're not here, if we're gone for a while, we just want y'all to let us go. Like, that's, we don't want people calling to check in on us because that, that, that was our decision for the day. And we're both sitting there going, okay, like, but what, what concerned me was that there were a lot of nodding heads going, on throughout throughout the room, um, y'all, y'all let him in. Real quick. I'll just tell you, I'm wary of the Christian who doesn't desire accountability. And by the way, accountability is not whether you're sitting here today or not. It's accountability in life, and 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 knowing that we're walking the same way. Let's finish this. The Lord said, the "Lord brings it all to a point. What have you done?" The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Do you hear the heart of Cain on full display here? There's no repentance. There's no sorrow. There's no remorse. There's only self-pity. God, that's look what you're doing to me. Like you're casting me out. You're driving me away from your presence. The sin that he committed against Abel is the very sin that he's fearful of happening to him. There's a great disconnect that sin brings in. Y'all, the sinner's heart is only for himself. That's a good check for us. The sinner's heart is on full display here, is only for himself and his satisfaction. And it's 
so rooted deeply in his heart that he doesn't care that he has sinned against his brother or his God. He cares only for himself. So God's judgment is just. But he also graciously and mercifully deals with Cain and says, I won't let him kill you. I'm not going to let him. But you will wander. You're going to wander the land. And that's in 15 and 16. 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So the question is likely for us, okay, Rick, what, what do we do with this now? I think there's different aspects. Yeah, I want us to, this is simple. Be sanctified by this. You don't need me to tell you how to think through this. God's Spirit does a whole lot of that for us, right? He makes, he makes that easy. He brings a conviction. So be sanctified, be warned, and then be encouraged that the faith that you and I have that has been given by God is enough to fill the offerings that we bring to God that though no matter how small they are, He fills them by the faith that we have in Him and He makes them fully acceptable. All that God commands of us, He has already freely given to us if we would just simply be obedient. There's something very freeing in that. So, be sanctified, be warned, be encouraged. But God knows our hearts. That's where we need to work with God. Because God is the one who can change hearts. I can't. The, all preaching cannot change hearts. All singing cannot change hearts. You can go on every mission trip, read your Bible 130,000 times straight through and complete that, that reading plan. And you can give to all charity and events. But if you do not have faith, real faith in who He is that therefore demands in your own heart that you will give him the absolute best because he is so highly held in your regard. If we don't have that kind of faith, then you simply pray, God, give me the kind of faith that brings you glory. And you know what? He will. Because that's his heart. That's his will towards us is that we would bring him glory. Let's pray. Lord God, may we live lives of radical sacrifice so that you get to know how glorious you are to us. This will lead us to give more of ourselves than we ever thought we could. Lord, we are in absolute need and dependence of who you are because the best of who we are is just sinfulness and wickedness. It's shallow and it's fickle and we're prone to wonder. And when we can't hold on to you, you hold us fast and you cling to us. Thank you that you're so gracious. Amen.